Oh, sorry about that. I fat fingered some stuff for the second, guys. Uh, hey, this is Jose Galison. You're watching No Way Jose. You can find me on the No Way Jose YouTube channel, all the major auto packages on Aussie as well. What you guys just watched, uh, if you've been following the series, you've seen it before. That was the Jinx edit. Um, I believe that's the second one he did for uh, for Yiki. And that's kind of what set me down this path. Uh, the Yiki story, uh, it wasn't too long ago. I would start going deep into OKC. And so today my guest is Ken Silva. Uh, so I know uh, if you guys look in the title, I label this a bonus episode. Uh, yeah, Richard Booth, uh, me and him uh, this month, uh, our schedules aren't quite lining up. So uh, it may be, have to wait a little bit, or I'm going to try to see if I can maybe squeeze one in this month uh, to finish that series. But I have this for you in the meantime. I called it a bonus episode because it's the, a lot of stuff we'll be covering is kind of like along the periphery of this, even even though I say that. But uh, even in the uh, Richard Booth one, a lot of stuff we covered was pretty, uh, pretty, pretty. I don't know we went pretty in depth, but we're even going further in depth, you know, more side uh, side type issues in this one. So uh, that's why I label a bonus episode. Also, I feel like. You know, since it wasn't Richard, it was kind of a bonus episode. Uh, maybe I'll do more of these depending on, you know, if I find other content that's related. Uh, that's not going to be stuff that I cover with Richard because I feel like me and Richard are going to have a, by the end this is done, going to have a pretty comprehensive, like pretty much all the stuff you need to know to have a you know thorough understanding of what was going on. Uh, just to remind you guys, uh, if you are watching this on the 9th of August, uh, this is a live stream. Uh, if you are watching it later, you caught the uh, when it's released public because I usually will put them behind a paywall when they're done, uh, when I'm done live streaming, and you know about roughly a week or so later I'll drop. Uh, if you want to be able to get in the in the meantime, you be a patron at patreoncom just no way Jose 2020. Um, the lowest level is two bucks that gets you access to the, the episodes in, the, in, in between. Um, if the highest level is twenty, and that's my sponsors, my sponsors is the Me Grave, the Whiskey and Tea Podcast. Jeremy, who has an Etsy store at etsy.com slash shop slash Raising Liberty. You can follow him on Twitter at Jeremy Rhymes. I also have Mikkel Thorpe of the Expat Money Show. Uh, so, yeah, and also I want to let you guys, remind you guys, go check out uh, Top Lobster. Uh, you know, friggin' uh, toplobster.com. Go check out his merch. Uh, he has my merch. He has a bunch of other shows' merch. A lot of other designs of his that are not show-related, but he has a lot of good stuff. Uh, definitely go support him, go help him out, uh, you know, and help him out. It helps me out too, since he's got my merch. 
yeah, I do want to remind you guys, I have uh, episode 171. If you guys want to go check it out, I had uh, Duncan Lemp's Widow on there a while back. So that was a that was a good, uh, intense episode. So if you guys want to check that out, uh, you know that's definitely one I want to try to plug when I can. Uh, with that, let's go ahead and get Ken in here. Let's get going. Hey, hey, what's up, man? Hey, not a whole lot. What's going on? Not much. I'm glad to have you back. Uh, I don't think I've dropped the public episode of our one we did last week, but uh, this is a, the second in a row I've had you on. So uh, I'm looking forward to this. Uh, it should be fun. Uh, I read a bunch of your articles covering OKC, and so we're, we're ready to go deep. Uh, if you could go ahead for the uh, audience, remind them, uh, I guess for reminding for people there for the live stream last week, uh, who you are, uh, you know, what you, what you do, uh, that kind of stuff. Sure. Uh, I'm a reporter. I formerly was the national security reporter for the Epic Times. Did about a half a dozen stories going deep into the Oklahoma City bombing, uh, one of which was mysteriously spiked. About a week later, I was fired. Uh, we can get into that later. Now I'm a local reporter down in Kentucky and write freelance articles for the Libertarian Institute and continue to research this case along with guys like Richard Booth uh, on the side. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think if I recall correctly, uh, what you're referring to, we have to talk to talk uh, talk after, don't we? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we can talk a little bit about what's public, but I do have a non-disclosure agreement, so. Yeah, I'm definitely interested to get, keep meaning to ask you about uh, about that, but I keep forgetting. Uh, but I guess we'll get into that. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, I don't know if there's a natural place to insert it today. If you want to talk about what you can talk about, or at the very least, we'll probably talk after a done recording. I am yes, sure. um, let's start out with uh, PatCon, because uh, that was a big part of this. Anyone who's been, I do want to remind people, if you've actually watched this whole series, there will be probably stuff you will remember uh, that we've covered before, but we'll be going a little bit deeper. Pat Con being one of them. We definitely uh, grazed over that at least a little bit with uh, Richard. Uh, so we'll start there because you've done a, uh, some good coverage on Pat Con. So uh, I guess you know, kind of start out with what is Pat Con and then how do we know it even exists? Yeah, so Pat Con was a 1990s era FBI undercover operation where they would infiltrate uh, right wing militias and other groups. And I believe the significance of Pat Con is that it's pretty much the FBI's playbook from the 80s to the early 90s to the Whitmer uh, so-called kidnapping plot today. Uh, Pat Con gives an inside look at what the FBI does, how it infiltrates right-wing groups and incites them to violence. Uh, I would kind of describe it as a COINTELPRO for the right-wing. Uh, obviously, COINTELPRO was primarily designed to infiltrate like anti-war groups during the uh, Vietnam era and stuff like that. Yeah. I was um, actually just about to mention, I'm currently reading the Tom O'Neill book where he covers the Manson stuff. I haven't completely got to his conclusion yet, but he's definitely implying maybe some sort of co-intel uh, kind of trying to fuck with the lefties. So, so I found that interesting, especially with the OKC stuff I've been covering, but yeah, it's nice. Uh, yeah. I read that book during the pandemic, by the way, that's, that's a pretty good one. Um, so PatCon was born out of the 1980s when there was a legitimate right-wing terrorist movement. It wasn't, you know, a giant movement, but it existed. Uh, there was a lot of disaffected farmers. You know, interest rates had been rising during the time, and a lot of people lost their farmland. There was a lot of disgruntled Vietnam veterans, and this was a time where the Aryan nations and neo-Nazi groups really thrived. 
And there was a terrorist group called the Order, which had ties to the Aryan nations, which they assassinated a Jewish radio host. Uh, they robbed numerous banks to fund, you know, an eventual overthrow of the government and an establishment of a white uh, ethno state. And, uh, you know, the FBI and the DOJ, they actually did some good police work and they took down the order. Uh, but as the FBI and DOJ do, that they took it too far. They tried to charge a lot of these right-wing militias with literal sedition, claiming that there was a plot that would have overthrown the entire federal apparatus. And uh, they, they charged a, a group called the Committee of the States, was this, which was this loose right-wing militia network. Uh, they charged them with sedition, and the charges totally collapsed in um, – in federal court, and a lot of the guys, uh, they were very triumphant. I think one guy even went outside and raised the Confederate flag and saluted to it. And so after the DOJ's failed uh, sedition prosecution, that was 1987. The next year uh, was the year 1988 when Andy the German, Andy Strassmeyer, entered the country and uh, I won't go too much into him because I know Richards talk about him a lot, but he was a, you know, a German intelligence agents with ties to the CIA seen with Timothy McVeigh on multiple times in the run up to the bombing. Uh, he enters the country the very next year after the failed sedition case and starts infiltrating the right wing. And uh, about two years later, the FBI launches this operation called PATCON, Patriot Conspiracy, uh, that was the code name, and it entailed three undercover FBI agents and a slew of informants, and, and the undercover agents pretended to be domestic terrorists. They created a front group called the Veteran Aryans Movement, where they presented themselves as uh, neo-Nazi bank robbers, you know, like kind of like the Order uh, seven or eight years before telling all these right-wing groups, hey, we got money, you know, we'll fund all your activities. And the real significance of PADCON is that it never resulted in any major arrests, which means at best it was a, uh, a giant intelligence and a spying operation. Uh, at worst, you know, it does have ties to the Oklahoma City bombing, and I don't want to rant too much, so we can just get into that later. But, uh, yeah, that's PADCON uh, for short. And the reason we know about it, to answer your other question, is this is all well documented in, um, you know, FBI memos and things like that. This is uh, not any kind of conspiracy theory. Uh, there's been researchers that have obtained PADCON documents through just simple FOIA requests. Yeah, I know you, in your reporting, you said it is kind of sparse, but it is basically confirmed. Uh, so I'm sure in decades to come, we'll get more stuff that comes out. But uh which I guess will kind of tie into or probably what we'll talk about trying to do later, which is kind of what he's pursuing. Mm -hmm. um, I, I guess let's kind of talk about, well, f let's talk to uh, the connection to the OKC uh, and w what, what connections there is. Uh, I do want to bring up real quick before we get into it. Uh, I thought it was interesting. You brought up that I, I for somehow had not picked up on, but I guess I, I noticed in you, your articles that you did bring up the point. I, I hadn't heard this before. Uh, the, the feds, what they're, uh, their reason why they, they fucked up with OKC was essentially the lack of resources, which I find that to be uh, kind of interesting. Not saying that it was intentional, but it is this thing where it's kind of like, 
you know, their handprints are all over it. And then shit goes down and it's like, well, we need more money. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, whether that was intentional or not, it is kind of like, you know, I guess you could at the very least see there's some sort of incentive problem here where they can kind of do whatever and, you know, they end up winning no matter what. Um, but I guess let's talk about the connection to it uh, and how it relates. Uh, I guess the uh, probably a good way to, you know, maybe the Veterans Aryan movement, because I believe that was the one that McVeigh may have been involved with, or I knew he was with something similar. But uh, yeah. Uh, McVeigh was involved with the Aryan Republican Army. Okay which does, there are some murky connections um, to the veterans Aryan movement, uh, whether the, how solid these connections are, I'm not sure, but actually I'll pick off right where I left off. Um, so PADCON officially ended in 1993 and was never revealed until I think 2007, where um, a lawyer named Jesse Trenadu, and then there was a researcher named J.M. Berger, they did some FOIA requests and found, you know, some relatively innocuous documents showing that PACCON was this operation involving undercover agents posing as neo-Nazis. Um, you know, it sounded a little shady, but there wasn't a whole lot there until 2011, where a former FBI informant and PATCON operative turned whistleblower named John Matthews, he saw his name in some of these PATCON records that Jesse Trentadu was obtaining and just throwing him online. And this former informant's like, dude, why is my name in here? And he got super pissed off. So he came out as a whistleblower to Jesse and started telling him the real story of Pat Khan, which was that he believes that it was literally an, um, an operation to infiltrate and not inform or prevent anything, but to incite right-wing groups to violence. And John Matthews also said that when he was working on PATCON operations, he saw Timothy McVeigh with Andy Strassmeyer. And after the bombing, he reported this to his handler. And the handler said, oh, no, 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 we, uh, you know, we, uh, we know that. We got this, which suggests that, you know, the FBI had been monitoring McVeigh up to the bombing. And, you know, this isn't all just... Uh, loose allegations. The significance of John Matthews is that he was set to testify in a uh, Freedom of Information Act trial that uh, was set to start between Jesse Trentadu and the FBI over the existence of surveillance tape, uh, surveillance footage of the bombing, uh, which we won't have to go down that whole rabbit hole. Mm -hmm. But um, John Matthews was about to testify in favor of Jesse Trenadu uh, against the FBI, and the FBI allegedly uh, threatened him and said, hey, if you testify against you know, your former employer, you're going to end up another homeless Vietnam veteran because he had served too. And so Matthews backed out and never testified in the formal trial, uh, but Jesse put these allegations to the judge that was presiding over the case. And the judge launched an investigation that's still ongoing to this day. It's been ongoing for seven years under seal with gag orders on all parties. That's why you don't hear much from Jesse because he can't talk about the case anymore. Um, but that's a lot of the reporting I've been doing is like, this is not ancient history. This is stuff that's still going on. And it also shows you that, like, these aren't just loose allegations. There's a federal judge in Utah 
that he's not impressed with the FBI. He's not impressed with the DOJ. He's, you know, he's a, a guy in the heartland that's willing to hear Jesse out and, and uh, believe him. And he's devoting federal resources for the last seven years investigating this. Yeah, no, uh, it is kind of funny. Is like one of the, one of the common themes I've noticed going down this wormhole of OKC is there's so many uh, references to things that trend- Jesse will say like this is the case, but I can't confirm it because you know it's sealed or or mm-hmm. I can't speak on it this time. So there is definitely a lot of like sounds to me borderline smoking gun. No, maybe not smoking gun, but highly suggestive type stuff that he cannot say that he kind of knows this point, uh, which I mean would definitely, uh, you know, kind of shore up a lot of the uh, aspects of the story whenever he finally can, if he ever is able to. Um, yeah, I guess we touched on connection. OKC. Oh, I did want to kind of touch on uh, the aspect of how in modernity, modern, modernity, oh, that's a hard word in, in modern day, uh, how they are, they've already infiltrated, uh, the feds have infiltrated the three percenters, proud boys, uh, other stuff like that. I mean, we have, uh, in a couple of days, me and you will be, uh, interviewing, uh, Brandon Caserta, you know, who had his, was involved with the, the, the so-called Michigan, uh, kid, uh government governor kidnapping plot. So it, it definitely is timely. I think they just released some, uh, there were some leaks recently. Uh, the fed boys were kind of saying who they perceive as legitimate, uh, threats and it's kind of uh, it's 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 kind of you know history rhymes and we're we're starting to see a little bit of that again uh, and this is a point Richard brought up frequently I think it's important to uh, learn these stories because they provide a good template for going forward because uh, I'm not saying for a fact that it would happen but it's it it wouldn't at least bit surprise me if some once tensions start getting increased something similar to an OKC or something along those lines happened again. And that way they are able to, you know, place the blame on the, uh, these right wing extremists or whatever. Yeah, You bring up a good point. Uh, I wanted to jump in there because after the sedition trial collapsed in 87 was when they put uh, Andy, the German in the country and started PatCon. And that's my fear with Michigan that their case is collapsing now and they want revenge. So are we going to see PatCon 2.0 uh, I, I would actually probably put money on that. Yeah. It's pretty scary what they might cook up next. Yeah. Which I mean, although it does seem like the going theme is of, it's almost like people are being shoved to one pole or the other, you know, people buying into, I, I referred to the kayfabe of the state, which anyone doesn't know what kayfabe is. That's like WWE stuff. It's like the fake whatever. Uh, and then, but then it's like, almost like, I feel like this like era is almost like the like when the kind of the similar era where kayfabe kind of became known to the world with like WWE. Where like some people still love it and still buy into it, but the vast majority of people are like, okay, I get it. This is just a show now. Uh, and so I do think with going forward, more people are are starting to see the bullshit. So I'm hoping that if something along these lines happens, I mean, hell, they just uh, uh not that I'm some Trump stan, but they just uh they just did a. Uh, they just what raided his Mar-a-Lago estate, which I mean, like they better have something solid. And even then, from my dives into the feds, I wouldn't be, I still would be very uh, scrupulous in uh, evaluating whatever evidence they supposedly have, because uh, I don't know, things are weird, and it does a lot of these, a lot of this stuff covering the OKC kind of reminds me a lot of this. It's like uh, they're kind of amping up this like right wing threat and uh, kind of 
borderline instigating it. So it'll be interesting to see where this goes. Um, it's almost like they want to mess with Trump to incite the right wing, yeah. which could be another PatCon style operation. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, either way, whether that's intentional or not, I feel like that'll be the effect. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, all right, let's. I want to touch on uh, Eric Holder because I guess there are supposed conspiracies that he was somehow involved. Uh, former Attorney General, uh, and I, I know it in your reporting it was it didn't cover it a lot, but I, that did kind of catch my interest. And I want to like, what are the supposed conspiracies around Eric Holder? Because I don't believe I'd heard any of those aspects. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I still think pro wrestling is real, so I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Hulk <laughs> Hogan is like the toughest guy I've ever seen. But uh, Eric Holder, I don't know much about him. Uh, he did oversee the investigation of Jesse Trinidu, his brother's death. Um, and apparently the, there was a big cover up of, about that. Um, one thing I will point out about Holder, though, is he was the attorney general during the Fast and Furious scandal, which was around 2012 during the Obama era. And that entailed the ATF, um, you know, pretty much letting illegal gun transactions go down so they could try to tr track these guns and make big cases. And they let these guns flow to like the cart or they were, you know, their alleged goal was track the guns to the cartels so they could take down the entire cartel. But all they ended up doing is arming the cartels and ISIS in the process. Like one of these guns was involved in the, uh, the Paris shooting in 2013. Um, so there was huge unintended or intended consequences with Fast and Furious. But the connection to PatCon is that this the gun shop, called the Lone Wolf Gun Store, which is another just weird thing. Like, are we living in a simulation? McVeigh, the Lone Wolf, Lone Wolf Gun Store. That was the gun store involved in the Fast and Furious operation. And according to John Matthews, the F former FBI informant and PatCon operative turned whistleblower, he said the Lone Wolf Gun Store was also involved in PatCon in the early 90s. And he said that him and his fed buddies were uh, through that gun store were letting people upgrade um, semi-automatics and automatic weapons and selling them to right-wing groups again with the intention of uh, inciting them to violence. So as far as the conspiracy theories over Eric Holder's connection to the Oklahoma City bombing, I don't know a whole lot about that, but I do know that Eric Holder has his uh, fingerprints all over uh, PatCon and PatCon related entities. All right, let's shift to, I kind of want to cover uh, who Jesse Trinidu is and what he's currently working on. Uh, I know you wrote a whole article on that. Uh, we kind of already touched on it. I, I did want to touch on the witness tampering, uh, but we already touched on that earlier. So, uh, but I do think it's important for people to understand what Jesse Trinidu is currently working on because he is kind of, uh, in some ways, the hero of the story. And uh, uh, I, I will say, uh, I mean, feel free to touch on his brother's aspect, but I, I will let people know I do intend on covering this. So if the, the weird deaths surrounding uh, OKC, like Yiki or, or, or Trendu's brother, who's also a Trendu, so Trendu. Um, yeah, we're going to, me and Richard intend on covering that nearer to the end of the series. Because while those are still like all eye opening stuff, I feel like. Uh, they're less, uh, what's the word, when we're less uh, 
important to the 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 core story of OKC. So, I mean, if I wanted clicks and views, that would be what I'd lead with. But uh, I feel like, you know, if I'm trying to inform people on it, these are the things you cover at the end. I do think those are good, though, in the sense that they do open people's eyes because Yiki is what kind of pulled me into this because uh, he's an incredibly sympathetic character and it's kind of fucked up what happened to him. But, uh, yeah, well, okay, who, who is Jesse trying to do? I'll start with that. Uh, Jesse Trenadu is just an all-American guy. He was born in West Virginia to a coal mining town. And I think around 11 or 12 years old, his family moved him to Orange County, California. And he enrolled in a high school there. And uh, during one, one day in gym class, his gym teacher noticed that he was a really fast runner and said, hey, you should join the cross-country and track team. I think you got some talent. And Trentadu ends up being one of the fastest hillbillies to ever grace the country. He ran a freaking 408 mile in high school, which on a cinder track, like that is world class. That's an Olympic caliber athlete. And this lands him a scholarship to UCLA, where he is, again, is one of the fastest people in the country. I think his specialty was the 800 yard um, race in track. And he runs like he's running near Olympic uh, Olympic times, but because it's back in like the '60s, he blows out his ankle on a turn one time. I think they like watered the track or tried to cover up a, a patch, and he kind of his career ends there. And he instead concentrates on law school, uh, ends up going to the Marines, serves a little tour in Vietnam, I believe, comes back. And now he's uh, an attorney, a sports agent, just because of his background in sports. And uh, he would have had just like a normal life, probably made millions and millions of dollars until uh, the early or after the Oklahoma City bombing. Uh, I think two, two months afterwards, his, his brother gets killed in a federal prison. And it turns out that um, his brother was severely tortured. Uh, there's this evidence isn't disputed. Actually, a federal judge ruled in his favor that it was, like, it was a se severe negligence at the very least by the feds. Uh, but he gets this tip from a random caller one night that um, the reason his brother died is because the FBI had mistaken him for one of McVeigh's cronies, a guy in the Aryan Republican Army. Jesse doesn't think much of it until a couple years later when a journalist named J.D. Cash calls him with the exact same information and says, let me ask you about your brother. Does he have a tattoo on his arm? How big is he? Um, on and on. And, you know, after Jesse gives him the information, J.D. Cash says, hey, you better sit down because, you know, I think, you know, your brother resembled one of these Aryan Republican Army guys that was involved in the bombing and this kind of led jesse to pursue this 20 25 year odyssey where he's been suing the government for records left and right ever since and uh thanks to him we have all this information about pat con and the cia connections and and things like that and it really is just such an amazing coincidence and almost makes you believe in some kind of deity because if not for Jesse Trenadu, who just happened to be not only have the balls to take on the government, but he's also a lawyer 
and super smart and has the resources to do it because he won a million dollar judgment for his brother's wrongful death. So he's been able to devote pretty much his whole career to uh, fighting the FBI basically pro bono just because A, he's a mean ass hillbilly from West Virginia and B, you know, he's trying to avenge his brother's death and, you know, hopefully uh, bring some light to this terrible tragedy. So that, yeah, that's Jesse trying to do in a nutshell. Wasn't it uh, implied or maybe outright like the random call he got? Wasn't that like Nichols supposedly or something along those lines? Uh, I vaguely remember something like that. Uh, I'm not sure. I don't know about the initial call, but I know he later was contacted by Timothy McVeigh. And this is another thing he's very tight-lipped about. I don't even think he said whether he got a letter from McVeigh or a phone call, but McVeigh told him that they mistaken uh, his brother for Richard Lee Guthrie, who was an Aryan Republican Army member tied to McVeigh. And an interesting fact about Guthrie is he said, I think in 96, after he was arrested for some bank robberies, he told the media that hey, I, he was scheduled to have an interview with a major uh, TV station. And he said, hey, I'm going to blow the lid off this whole case. And he ends up dead, too, of, of alleged suicide. Yeah, that's another character. We still haven't even gone to him yet in the series, <laughs> the, the Richard Lee Guthrie. Yeah, it is wild, the uh, people who just drop dead uh, like crazy around this. Um, all right, let's move on to – I want to touch on the NASA worker who was linked to Strassmeyer because that was one thing you covered. I thought it was kind of interesting, uh, you know, kind of another, another you know, uh, chain in the, in the link of, you know, of connections that kind of prove further the whole Strassmeyer thing. Cause I have to say after going deeper into this story, uh, as opposed to just a cursory understanding I had before I went to this, uh, Strassmeyer and then more are probably the two characters that are like, really like for me, like, Holy fuck. And both of them are characters that almost get no do anywhere else. Uh, whereas like their role in this is pretty insane uh, especially in the given the context that everywhere, even usually some of the more conspiratorial, like you know, whether it be podcast books, whatever, usually don't cover the two of them that much. Uh, so it, I, I did, I did like that you had it provided an other uh, substantiating thing with the whole Strassmeyer thing. Uh, so I, I'll, I'll let you go with that. Well, I'll give you a third, and the guy's name is David Holloway, and he's another um, self-purported CIA agent. It's on his LinkedIn page. Like The guy is kind of a genius, but he's also kind of an idiot for putting this all out there, which is how I did my short-lived story. Um, so, And he also told the FBI this. This is an FBI 302, that he was a CIA pilot in the 80s, uh, somehow he gets involved in the right wing movement. He ends up uh, working at this racist, uh, racially uh, toned law firm called Cause, which I think was an acronym for all the all white countries like Canada, Australia, United States, South Africa and Europe or something like that. And he was a big sponsor of Strassmeyer. I think Strassmeyer lived with him for uh, a little bit. And uh after the bombing, Strass, he helped Strassmeyer escape the country. And he even admitted this to me through his attorney. He said, uh, you know, we didn't think Andy was going to get a fair shake with the FBI. So we kind of skirted him out because we wanted to protect his rights. So you have a self-purported CIA agent who now is working at NASA, which is the punchline, 
Uh, the guy who helped Andy Strassmeyer escape the country is now working at NASA. I mean, it's it's truly wild. And I did the story about this for the Epic Times, and it was up about 15 minutes, and then it was down. I can't say much else other than a week later I was gone. Um, and I also add, which uh, this I guess this is breaking news on your show, which I can say this is that I brought this information to NASA and the the contractor that Dave Holloway works for, and they told me that wow, we, we're going to investigate this because you know a guy, a former neo-Nazi guy, a white supremacist working for us, that, that's no good. Uh, they did tell me this. I have this in writing. Uh, I haven't heard anything back, so I don't know if the investigation just petered out at a certain point. Uh, but yeah, again, like a guy who helped Andy Strassmeyer escape the country is a Fed as we speak. Yeah, no, uh, it's definitely interesting. Uh, I wasn't sure if that was the story that did it. I thought it was. Uh, is there anything else you can cover on that, or is that all you can say? Otherwise, we'll talk more after. <laughs> That's pretty much all I can say at this point. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Uh, but I guess there's there's definitely probably something juicy there. I know you can't talk, but uh, you know it got you uh, essentially fired, it seems, <laughs> and the story nuked. Um, so that's uh, kind of when you know you might be over the target a little bit. Um, but all right, let's cover uh, Merrick Garland because he played a big role in the in the uh, the whole trial with McVeigh. So I guess we'll start out kind of who he is and what role did he play. Yeah, well, he's the current attorney general, and during the OKC era, he was uh, uh, still a pretty high up DOJ official. I think he was the chief of staff for Jamie Gorillick, who was oversaw the whole investigation into the bombing. And they sent Garland to uh, prosecute kind of the preliminary hearing against McVeigh, which is a very significant hearing because they're convincing people that, yes, he's the guy and we're going to proceed to trial and we can bring charges against him. And if you read the transcript, which was posted by Richard Booth on the Libertarian Institute, the transcript shows Mc, um, Garland of acknowledging the existence of John Doe too. Every time um, the defense lawyer for McVeigh would bring up potential accomplices, Garland would object, but he would say, you know, the issue, this isn't about McVeigh's accomplices, this is about McVeigh. But he did acknowledge that John Doe too, you know, was a thing. So to this day, he knows there's unanswered questions about, uh, about the bombings and he has power to do something something about it, but he's not. Um, and the other thing worth mentioning about Garland is that the night before this preliminary, preliminary, preliminary hearing, excuse me, where he steers away the case from John Doe 2, he's in a private meeting with Hillary Clinton in the White House. And we know this because Richard Booth did a FOIA request for the White House visitor logs, and he found that Garland visited Hillary Clinton on like April 27th, the night of, the, the day before the preliminary hearing where he uh, steered the case away from John Doe too. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's definitely wild. Uh, we haven't covered the uh, the white papers aspect yet in, in the, the, our, my main one with Richard. We will, uh, but I guess we can kind of, you know, cover it uh, a little bit because uh, I will say it's it's not like it's definitely not a smoking gun. I'm sure you would admit that as well, but it is definitely highly suggestive. 
uh, you know, that he would meet with, uh, you know, Hillary Clinton the day before. It's also like it was clearly an inconvenient thing because he had to fly in, fly out. Uh, so, and like, why can't this be just be something done over a phone? Yeah. So there's definitely, you know, a lot of suggestive there. But I do want to add in the last little bit. Uh, I guess I'll let you cover. I'm assuming you're probably aware of the white paper aspects uh, in the connections between the Clintons and the whole, you know, OKC thing. So I don't know if you want to cover that quickly for the audience so they can understand why this is even further uh, kind of fucking weird. Um yeah. You know, I, actually, I got to admit, I'm not aware of the white paper at all. I've heard you and Richard reference this, but you got to fill me in. What is the white paper? Oh, shit. Well, I'm not as equipped. I know the white papers were supposedly, I guess, in the Mira building, there were uh, supposedly, I'm sure Richard may set me straight, whether that's, a, you know, there's some legitimacy to it or if it's just a kooky conspiracy thing. Because Richard is good about that. He's been good about slapping down stuff that he finds to just be kooky bullshit. But there is supposedly uh, in the Mira building, I guess it was supposedly confirmed that there were legit, you know, kind of like uh, men in black type thing. People there the day of while there were still rescue efforts going on, instead of focusing on rescue efforts, these, you know, official looking people were, you know, pulling documents from the building. And supposedly, I guess the connection is uh, once again, I'm just a lay person that's, you know, so I'm not the, the guy to go to for this. This will be covered more in depth. But apparently there was a shitload of documents in there that were, I, I believe there may have been some sort of court case getting ready to come up or something that there was a lot of stuff that uh, some of sh the Clinton shady past dealings uh, documents were there. Oh, uh, the Whitewater scandal or whatever? Maybe. I, I know there was a lot of stuff because I know there, if you follow the Clintons, there's a lot of weird stuff in their life. I believe there were, if I remember correctly, it may have been some of their weird kind of drug type connections that were supposedly there. I'm not sure. I mean, this will be something, you know, that it's a little bit of a, uh, I guess, a, uh, you know, a promo for upcoming episodes because this will be something we'll cover later. Uh, but, yeah, I know that there's definitely some weird uh, Clinton connections in the OKC bombing thing. So. Richard could probably speak to that better, but I'd be a little skeptical. You know, I heard rumors that there were some kind of treaties between the U.S. government and, you know, Indian tribes that they wanted destroyed by the bombing and things like that. I, I don't know about yeah. that. I yeah, do I, know, I don't either, but <laughs> go on. I do know that there were agents going in and out carrying out bombs or like explosive devices from the building. I think that's a credible, uh, credible report. And that's, you know, not necessarily anything too nefarious. It's more bumbling incompetence. I believe the ATF was storing these explosive weapons from gangs or groups and they were confiscating it and just storing it in the Murrah building, like right above a daycare. And they wanted to get the, the hell out of there. So they didn't look like the pieces of shit that they are. But yeah, uh, yeah as far as document retrieval, I, I don't know much about that. Yeah. I, I'm not sure either. Like I said, this is just something uh, I haven't done, gone as deep as like you and Richard have, so this will be something that I'll get that Richard and me will cover later. So I mean, he's uh, it seems to me Richard is kind of like kind of the go-to guy. So it'll be interesting to see his take on that when we get to it. Uh, yeah, I have heard that theory too, and that's a Scott Scott Horton. Uh, that's uh, his main theory is that it's kind of a, a lot of this can be attributed to the ATF just trying to cover up their fuck ups. The the fact that they had, uh, and I, I believe that was like part of some people's explanation of why 
the explosion was way worse than it really should have been, uh, you know, with just a rider truck because it may have had set off secondary explosions with shit they were storming there that they shouldn't have been. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, although I know there's also then weird, uh, implications that maybe there were secondary de- explosive devices set by like, maybe like a Strassmeyer or somebody. Uh, although I know we covered with Richard, I guess one of the people who claimed it looked like Strassmeyer, he pointed out this was like on a, initially, I think she didn't. And then later she was on like Alex Jones or something and kind of did, but he seems to think maybe it was just kind of one of those like, you know, almost kind of suggested into it, not saying like they did it purposely, but. Like, oh man, I guess he could have kind of looked like that. Uh, so, uh, all right, last thing I think we'll cover. Uh, you you did a story on a uh, essentially a, a transsexual individual who has had connections to this, who is currently uh, waiting, getting uh, getting um, you know the state to pay for their transition type stuff. Uh, I don't know how pertinent this is really to story. Uh, I I did read it, but it it is just more just interesting, uh, and it's it, there's definitely something weird about the fact that there was someone who was a you know through and through white nationalist who on the side was hiding the fact that they were you know deep down inside a woman to the rest of the boys you know yes <laughs> well it's pertinent because this person has knowledge about the bombing and possibly even knows who john doe 2 is uh, i think i've heard richard on your show say you know terry nichols he's the guy who definitely knows who john doe 2 is and he should really do the public a service and come out and say it before he dies or is killed or whatever. Uh, but I believe Pete Langan slash Donna Langan is another one of these people. Um, so I'll, I'll start out, I pulled up a little excerpt, which I just think is funny from uh, an article from The Intercept. Uh, Donna Langan is very worried. Langan is a transgender woman in an American prison. She is a direct beneficiary of federal anti-rape regulations finalized in 2012. 12, as well as subsequent changes to the Bureau of Prisons policy. Uh, pretty much the Intercept did this puff piece on Donna Langan saying, you know, she got put in a female prison to protect her, and now Trump is threatening her to bring her back in a male prison. And it turns out this Donna Langan character is Pete Langan, who that was the head of the Aryan Republican Army, the group that committed bank robberies to fund Timothy McVeigh's nefarious activities. Um, Now, I got to say, I'm a little sympathetic with Langan because it turns out that his dad and I think his mom, too, were both in the CIA. And his dad was like stationed over in Saigon, uh, like part of Operation Phoenix or something like that. So I kind of think that maybe Langan... I have nothing to back this up, but one must ask himself whether Langan was like some MK ultra victim or something like that. But this uh, transgender person nevertheless was transgender legitimately since the early nineties. Like you said, while he was pulling off all these bank robberies to fund McVeigh, he was a secret living a secret life as a woman. And after the bombing, uh, the FBI is trying to cover all its tracks, the arrest this group, the arrest all the people involved in the Aryan Republican Army. And uh, he says in, a- in an affidavit that, uh, well, a lot of these other guys were directly involved in the bombing, and I'll, I'm willing to talk all about it. And instead of hearing him or her out, they threw her ass in a cage, and she's still sitting there in female prison uh, you know, right now. So 
she could have been involved directly. I think there's a lot of people who say that they saw a woman with McVeigh on the day of the bombing. And if that's the case, she should rot there. But on the other hand, you know, she tried to provide the government with information about other co-conspirators and they just kind of, uh, they're still letting her rot in a cage. And uh, yeah, it's just another bizarre case. And, you know, the, the kind of dark irony is there's publications like The Intercept that are championing her as some kind of, you know, transgender rights uh, martyr. Uh, so it just shows you what kind of clown world we're living in. I think her attorney is out of a firm called Femlaw. So like this super far left liberal law firm is sponsoring a literal uh, domestic terrorist who might be responsible for the bombing. Like it's this shit you can't make up. Yeah, no, it is wild. Uh, it is kind of interesting. I didn't know that his uh, parents, his, hers parents were, uh, were, were feds that definitely adds an extra dimension to it. I mean, obviously that doesn't mean necessarily he slash she or whatever was a fed, but uh, it definitely is a uh, curious um, uh, real quick. I want to, uh, someone uh, super chatted. So cheers. Hey, what's up JC? You know, frequent person shows up these streams. Uh, I see Kyle in there. Hey friends. Hey man. Appreciate you showing up. Appreciate when we showed up. Uh, I think we've kind of covered everything unless there's other stuff you want to bring up. Otherwise, if you want to go ahead and drop your plugs, I'll go ahead and uh, get out of here. And me and you will meet up again on Thursday, the 11th, and uh, for the live stream, and we'll have Brandon, and that'll uh, that'll be an interesting one. Yeah, sure. Uh, Twitter, JD underscore cashless. That's, that's pretty much it. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, the JD cash thing did remind me. I did kind of want to bring up, uh, I guess this is a little bit just more like a gushy type thing you know uh i guess a call for people out there i do think it's kind of interesting i was reading one of your articles the idea of you know how roger charles died uh jd cash died and like uh you know these people that are out there you know like the jesse trendus the you the richard boost uh they're kind of dwindling but uh do we we need to pass uh pass on the torch to the next group uh, kind of deal, create more people, which I guess this is one thing Richard Booth talks on a lot. So I do think, you know, it's important to get this information out there because that's the only way this will ever really be addressed is just incredible, incessant pushing, kind of like what Trinity is doing. Um, and I think more people uh, interested and involved will definitely help. So I guess with that, everyone out there, you know, if you guys want to like share this stuff or, you know, if you're a content creator, uh, you know, get, you know, people like Ken, Richard on your show, whatever, what have you, because I do think it's important to get this out further, because if anyone's been following my series, um, it's one of those ones that like, this is one of those stories that like you hear about, uh, just kind of like growing up and you kind of just don't think anything of it. But like, once you really start digging, you're like, holy fuck, like there, there is like, I don't know how anyone can evaluate all the information at OKC and not think that the official story at the very least is complete horseshit. I, I just, I don't even understand that. Okay. I mean, I get how you could be like, well, maybe it's not a complete fed op or maybe it's this, but at the very least there is fuck ups galore, uh, you know, from the government. Uh, and there's stuff that we don't know that we should know that's being withheld. So, um, but yeah, uh, I guess that's my little diatribe. Um, if you want to go ahead and drop your plugs, we'll go ahead and get out of here. I dropped my plugs. Oh, shit. To that end, I would say that the, your podcast series with Richard Booth, I think I've told you this privately, but I'll say it, is the best podcast series on this case that I've ever heard. 
Uh, Scott Horton's probably done 20 or 30 shows, but it's pretty fragmented. He does like one every couple months. And I think Wendy Painting has been on a couple of shows. But as far as a, a comprehensive overview of this fucked up case, like this is this is the best thing. So I'm, I'm proud to be on this show, actually. Oh, I appreciate it. And I, uh, you know, I mean, this is all I try to tell everyone this is all completely that was all Richard's doing. I completely I was just going to do like an episode or two and then realize how much shit he had. And it's become a whole I think we've done over seven hours. I think it'll probably be well over 10 by the time we're done. Uh, and obviously then we have this episode that kind of is attached to it. Uh, so I'm, I, I, don't know, I hope it opens people's eyes and moves stuff along. And, you know, uh, like, like Ken just said, if you want to share along, I really do genuinely think I'm not even trying to you know puff myself. If anything, I try to push off the credit to Richard as much as I can, because I'm basically, he's just Scott Hortoning it and I'm just kind of handing him balls to, to slam dunk kind of deal. Uh, so yeah, I definitely think, you know, share that around. Cause I do think this is a, uh, this really is. I, I mean, I'm not to you know suck my own dick kind of deal, but I do think this is like you said. Uh, I haven't seen a better podcast series, and I was looking for them so I could do research for it. So uh, I, I do think I completely lucked up with Richard. I'm very grateful for Richard uh, and and you as well. So but with that, this is a No Way Jose show. You can find me on YouTube, all the major auto packages, Odyssey. If you want to follow me on social media, you can do it on Twitter at Senor Jose 2020. I'm on Facebook as well. I don't really do anything on Facebook other than drop promos, but if you want to contact me because I have a tendency to get nuked off Twitter, uh, you know, Facebook's a good uh, good place to have if you like ever want to get in touch with me. Uh, I'm Jose Galison. I also have my show page, uh, No Way Jose. Uh, yeah, patreon.com, Snow Jose 2020 if you want to support me. Like, share, subscribe, comment, all that good stuff. And with that, we are out. I'll be with Ken again on Thursday, the 11th, and we'll be having Brandon Caserta, who is basically the poster boy of the uh, Michigan uh, fucking governor kidnapping plot. Uh, I, I say that in quotes because it kind of wasn't, but we'll uh, go into that on Thursday. I appreciate your time. Uh, hang on while I want to kind of talk to you more about the, the shit we talked about earlier. And we are out.